This episode is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website or online portfolio. For a free trial and 10% off, go to squarespace.com and use the offer code LEFT. Now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from All In With Chris Hayes, Dan Savage, Counterspin, The Majority Report, Jim Hightower, The Young Turks, The David Pakman Show, and The Jimmy Dore Show. You trust the man in the store to sell you fresh things of good quality and to deal with everyone honestly and fairly. That helps us all to live together well, doesn't it? If you're the type of person who gives money to a conservative candidate, there's a whole bunch of people out there who are interested in you and your money. And once you've turned over your information to a candidate, you may not know it, but you are now the product and they get to sell you. The preferred mode of communication? The email list. It works for Herman Cain, the one-time frontrunner for the 2012 Republican nomination. Cain has successfully molded himself into a conservative media mogul. He's got books, a radio show, a contributor gig on Fox News, and an email list of 335,000 people. On KaneTV.com, an online emporium of everything Herman Kane, you can sign up to get the latest from the best of Kane. You'll be treated to a steady stream of emails giving Herman Kane's take on the news and some interesting advertisements. For example, an email sent out last July, subject line, Breakthrough, Remedy for ED. Oh, yucky ducky, as the man would say. The email includes the link to a one-time only webinar, especially for Herman Kane fans. Interested parties can learn how to get their manhood mojo back and discover number one root cause of women cheating. Why, you may ask, is Herman Cain so keen on helping his readers treat their erectile dysfunction? Love y'all! Because sending out advertisements to his email list makes Herman Cain a lot of money. The New Republic estimates Cain made around $420,000 from email ads in 2013 alone minus operational costs. Mike Huckabee, who won the Iowa caucuses in 2008, is in on the same game. He has the books, the radio show, the gear, the weekly show on Fox News, and of course, the email list of around 700,000 people. Find your way to MikeHuckabee.com and you will be asked to sign up for Huckabee's Commentary Club. Once you've given Huckabee your email, you'll start receiving emails like this special message from his paid sponsor sent out in February. The message came from Tobin Smith, who is billed as a Fox News alumnus. Smith told readers to buy shares of a specific stock now, while you can still get them at around a dollar, and you could turn $10,000 into $282,000 in the next six months. Tobin Smith did used to work for Fox News. Is it really fair that 1% of people pay for the other 50% for all their services? No, it is not fair. But last year, Smith, a market analyst, was fired from Fox Business for getting paid to promote a particular stock. Smith's company, NBT Equities Research, is in the business of promoting stocks for a fee, often in right-wing newsletters, like townhall.com and, surprise, canetv.com. When Media Matters looked at how the stocks Smith had promoted in the past were performing, they found some to be virtually worthless. Last January, Smith urged readers on a town hall spotlight email to put your aggressive growth money on the Kardashian sisters and their 100 million member social media list. Buy Boldface Group. 
This week, Boldface Group was trading at less than a cent. I wasted everyone's money. I wasted everyone's everything, and I feel bad. When Huckabee was asked about attaching his name to another misleading email sent earlier this year, he said, hey, read the fine print. Well, there's always the disclosure uh, and the disclaimer that is a part of the, the message. You know, we are simply the conduit to send messages. Uh, these are, they are sponsored, and I can't always vouch for the veracity. It makes sense that Huckabee is not distancing himself from the email, because it's emails like that that have made him rich. As the New Republic estimates, email ads have made him somewhere north of $900,000 in 2013 alone. But what Mike Huckabee and Herman Cain learned about conservative entrepreneurship, they learn from the master. You're an embarrassment to our party. I'm sorry you feel that way. Newt Gingrich is the author of dozens of books, producer of several documentaries, a prolific paid speaker, a cable TV host, and owner of the multimedia production company Gingrich Productions. Sign up for the Gingrich Productions newsletter, and you'll be treated to regular communications from Newt and Callista, as well as from some third-party vendors. An email sent out last year alleged the Illuminati, secret society, puts a death grip on America. Another suggests cancer was cured in 1925, but the government doesn't want you to know. Yet another warned of seven deadly drugs the government wants you to swallow. And oh, by the way, if you're taking one of these drugs regularly, you're 530% more likely to die tonight. All of these communications made Newt Gingrich money. An estimated 500,000 people are on his email list. I'm Scott Brown, and I drive a truck. Former Massachusetts Senator Scott Brown is now running for Senate in New Hampshire. Earlier this year, Brown emailed his supporters an offer from his sponsor, Newsmax Health, titled, Five Signs You'll Get Alzheimer's Disease. The email tells the findings of renowned neurosurgeon and nutritionist Dr. Russell Blaylock. In the video, Blaylock warns of the evils of fluoride, a frequent theme of his. If you use fluoridated water or toothpaste, even in small amount, it will increase your aluminum absorption and trigger dramatic destruction of the same brain cells we see destroyed in Alzheimer's patients. Blaylock also dedicates an entire section on his YouTube page to exposing the fraud, hidden truths, and cover-ups about vaccines. And so the death rate from common things like measles is so infinitely low, it's ridiculous to vaccinate every child in the United States with this vaccine or, or many of these other vaccines. He's a regular guest on conspiracy theorist Alex Jones' talk show, InfoWars, where he discusses vaccines, something called chemtrails, or chemical agents that conspiracy theorists believe are deliberately sprayed by the government. And Obama's Nazi healthcare system. Well, the CDC has uh, clearly demonstrated itself as not a scientific organization. Uh, it's demonstrated it's nothing more than the Ministry of Propaganda for the state. Brown has since parted ways with the company who sent the emails. But here is the thing. Scott Brown faces the same conundrum as every other conservative seeking higher office. If they want to be elected, they need to appeal to as many people as possible. If they want to be rich, they need to appeal to a small amount of people willing to fork over their hard-earned money. And that is the problem with the modern Republican Party in a nutshell.
whenever the liberal media talks about the Republican Party and the GOP's uh, election chances in, in any election, one of the phrases you constantly hear is that the GOP has a deep bench. The Democrats, they don't have a deep bench, but the GOP has this deep bench. They have all these governors like Chris Christie and... Bobby Jindal and Jeb Bush, who used to be a governor, they have this deep bench. They also have all these state reps. They've taken control of many state legislators. They've got this huge class of state reps and senators who are, you know, going to move on to the national stage, and the Dems don't have quite as deep a bench. I'd like to introduce you to two, uh, two folks on that very deep bench, a bench that is deep with idiots, racists, sexists, and homophobes, uh, and, and just idiots. We'll start with the idiot. Tennessee State Senator Stacey Camfield, reading from Talking Points Memo, caused a stir on Monday morning when he wrote on his personal blog that Democrats bragging about the number of mandatory signups for Obamacare is like Germans bragging about the number of mandatory signups for train rides for Jews in the 1940s. Because, you know, Providing people with health care using a mechanism devised by the Heritage Foundation, the conservative idea about how to provide health care for more uninsured Americans, the conservative plan first put into uh, action in Massachusetts by then-Governor Mitt Romney, a Republican, getting people health insurance is just like herding people onto trains and sending them to death camps. This caused a little bit of a shitstorm in Campfield State Senator. Stacy Campfield was asked about this later. And he said in an interview with the AP, doubling down, that Jewish people should be the first to stand up against Obamacare because when you have the government deciding who gets health insurance and who doesn't, they're really deciding who lives and dies, just like the Nazis did. Jews, of course, voted overwhelmingly for Obama when he ran for re-election, despite the best efforts of the GOP and religious conservatives and social conservatives to try to convince Jews that providing more Americans with health care is just like exterminating Europe's Jews in the 30s and 40s. And this idea that, you know, there was a time when there wasn't some sort of nefarious group of jerks who were deciding who lived and dies is just not true. Is, does Campfield really want us to believe that it was better back when insurance companies and not, say, Barack Obama got to decide who lived and died? Remember rescission? That was a big debate during the uh, health care reform when the ACA was moving through the Senate and, and the House. Rescission was a policy where insurance companies, health insurance companies, they could cancel your policy when you got sick. You could be paying your health insurance premiums, paying your health insurance premiums. Rescission meant they could cancel your policy at the moment that you needed it for any reason. They didn't have to justify it. It's like saying, I have house insurance. Until my house catches fire, and then my house insurance company canceled my policy. Oh, I had my car. I've got driver's insurance. I have auto insurance. Until the minute I get into a car accident, and then the insurance company cancels my policy. It wasn't legal for people who insured cars, people who insured houses to do that, but it was legal for health insurance companies to do that. And they did do it, and people died. But according to Stacey Campfield, we were a free people when insurance companies decided who lived and died. But now that, you know, there's Obamacare, we are slaves to a law that makes it impossible for private insurance companies to cancel the health insurance policies of Americans who make the mistake of getting sick. Thank you, Obama. In other news, the New York Times reported that same day that Stacey Campfield was making an asshole of himself in public by opening his asshole mouth... 
that the death rate in Massachusetts, quoting from the New York Times, dropped significantly after it adopted mandatory health care coverage in 2006. A study released on Monday found Massachusetts was a model for crucial parts of Obamacare's health care law, and it has saved lives. The decline was 3% in the four years after the law went into effect. The decline was steepest in counties with the highest proportions of poor and previously uninsured people. A national 3% decline in mortality among adults under 65, which is what happened in Massachusetts after Mitt Romney enacted basically Obamacare there, a national decline of 3% would mean 17,000 fewer deaths a year. So Obamacare, it's going to save the lives of 17,000 Americans every year. Obamacare, it's the holocaust of saving lives. Idiot number two, GOP lawmaker, state representative in South Dakota, Steve Hickey who has been giving speeches condemning gay marriage and gay rights because anal sex is icky. He wrote an opinion piece calling on doctors to say that gay sex is not good for the body or the mind. Pardon a crude comparison, but regarding men with men, we are talking about a one-way alley meant only for the garbage truck to go down. Frankly, I'd question the judgment of a doctor who says it's all fine. And what he's talking about there is anal sex, right? One-way garbage truck. One-way alley for a garbage truck to go down. As if straight people also aren't having anal sex. Straight people are having tons of anal sex. He also, like Stacey Campfield, this asshole, Steve Hickey, doubled down when confronted about his idiotic comments about gay sex. He said, I hesitate to get crude again, but, you know, he's not going to hesitate at all. And then he went on to say, is it okay for, you know, eight of your friends that you're in love with to take a dump in your bed and then you can sleep in it all year long? Because that's what gay sex is. It's a nine way where you invite eight of your friends over to shit in your bed and then you lay in their shit for a year. Because if there's anything we know about gay men is we just don't like to change our sheets, basically. We like linens. We buy a lot of fancy linens, but we just fold them up and put them on the shelf and we sleep in shit-smeared sheets all year long. This obsession with doo-doo. If there is shit in your bed after you have anal sex, you're doing it wrong. Or you're doing it at the wrong time. Gay people go to such lengths to avoid the poo-poo. Douching, enemas, knowing thyself, fiber pills. Most gay people, and most straight people who have anal sex, do everything they can to minimize the chances of encountering... Santorum, let alone eight giant dumps in your bed. But it's really all they can think about. It's all this guy can think about. So what we have here in Steve Hickey is just another Republican anti-gay bigot who spends an awful lot of time imagining piles of gay men rolling around in their feces. I think he should talk to someone about that. Someone who isn't a reporter. This is their deep bench, ladies and gentlemen. Idiots who think providing health care to Americans is like exterminating Europe's Jews. And straight men and Christian pastors like Steve Hickey who spend all day, every day, picturing piles of gay men rolling around in their poop. The deep bench. I'm not as scared of it, nor should you be. I ain't afraid. I ain't afraid. I ain't afraid. I ain't afraid of your Yahweh. I ain't afraid 
of your Allah. I ain't afraid of your Jesus. I'm afraid of what you do in the name of your God. I ain't afraid of your churches. I ain't afraid of your temples. I ain't afraid of your praying. I'm afraid of what you do in the name of your God. Democracy is a problem according to New York Times columnist David Brooks, and the solution is less of it. In a May 19th column, he compares slow-moving U.S. democracy with guardian states like China and Singapore, where the safety net is smaller and elites are in charge of policy. They don't do everything right, he admits, but their schools and pension systems are superior to ours. The U.S., which has become neurotically democratic, can no longer suffer a system where politicians campaign all the time and can't think beyond the news cycle. It's best to run things through commissions of wise elites, says Brooks, citing the Simpson-Bowles Commission and what he calls its populist recommendations as a model. Under the new regime, he writes, quote, the process of change would be unapologetically elitist. Gather small groups of the great and the good together to hammer out bipartisan reforms on immigration, entitlement reform, a social mobility agenda, etc., and then rally establishment opinion to browbeat the plans through, close quote. Brooks also suggests that such elites could push policies to move poverty programs to local charities, promote charter schools, and place more market mechanisms into our health care system. He fails to explain how any of these things, from cutting Social Security to market-driven health care, are popular with the public. But that seems to be the point. In Brooks' anti-democratic view, populism is what's popular with elites like him. AFP recently uh, traveled down to America's poorest county, which is Wolf County in Kentucky. And if there's there's any proof that the most successful thing conservatives and right-wingers and Republicans have ever accomplished in this country, it's been basically pulling the wool over the poorest people in this country's heads so that they don't know who's actually the ones responsible for doing everything possible to make sure they can't pull themselves up from where they are. Um, they went down to Wolf County, Kentucky. And Wolf County has the lowest average income of all the 3,146 counties in America. Uh, the average income is $31,000 per household annually. Um, a massive 41% of its inhabitants live below the poverty line. 35% of them receive food stamps. Now, another stat they put out here is that Wolf County, 60% of voters backed Mitt Romney. 
In neighboring counties, Romney's score per, uh, surpassed 80%. Um, but the interesting thing is, most of the people they interviewed here, and just statistically, most of the people supported Democratic candidates in the past. These were not Republican strongholds. Um, they spoke with some of these people. Jim Feltner, uh, sadly a victim of two heart attacks, lives off a disability check and receives $105 a month in government food stamps, just doesn't know he's just, whether, whether he's just not informed or whether, they've, whether people have purposely misinformed him. He's just wrong. Uh, Feltner says he voted for a previous Democratic president, Bill Clinton, but now says, I will vote for anybody against Obama. I don't care who runs against him, I'll vote for him. I don't care if it's Democrat, Republican, Indian, Pakistani, even a Frenchman. <laughs> well, Feltner would be happy to know that Obama cannot run anymore. Uh, I don't think he realizes that. Um, but he blames Obama for all the hardships he's been, he, he's, he's had. Um, the coal industry there has been not doing well as 30% of, uh, mining jobs in the region have vanished, but that's, uh, mostly attributed to competition from natural gas. Um, you know, not, not because of environmental regulations as, I mean, I'm sure some regulation has made sure that some areas can't be mined anymore, but that's not the main reason. Um... He continues, uh, I'm sorry, this is from Eric Miller, another person they interviewed. Um, he's got a problem with poor people. Uh, oh yeah. Um, this region has long been pro-welfare because they depend on the welfare state. Um, and it's actually the epicenter of the war on poverty, where the war on poverty launched in 1964 by Lyndon Johnson, a Democrat. Um, the, 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 it's really a, a, an insane story. Uh, one guy they talked to, uh, that Eric Miller, uh, he says that he does not care about politics. He voted once, but can't remember for whom. Uh, but one thing is clear, he does not like Obama. And this is how he describes Democrats and Republicans. If you want your mind blown. I guess Democrats just worry about money in their pocket. What they and their friends are doing, they are not worried about us small people, Miller said, which you can argue is true. It certainly is for a number of people. But this is where it gets crazy. The Republicans, they are the ones that know. Raised up like we have, you know. Know what it is like, what we need, what shouldn't be taken away. He's talking about welfare that he depends on. It's it's stunning to me. Um, another person they spoke to uh, was a Republican chairman, a Republican Party chairman, chairman of the Breathitt County chapter, Mike Bryant. Um, it's unfortunate when the checks come out. There's a festival atmosphere. If someone dared say, maybe we need to rethink this food stamp program, they're going to hang you from the nearest tree. Uh, but when voters go to the polls, their main motivation are coal and social issues, abortion, guns, and gay marriage, which he labels the three biggies. This is conservative Christian country, even though these people are not anti-government. 
another interesting fact about this area is that Jackson, which is a uh, county just down the road, is 98% white. And it last made uh, national attention when a church there barred mixed-race couples from being married or, I guess, even attending. So, I mean, here you have someone like this Miller guy who gets $380 for food stamps every month. And he says without that, he wouldn't survive. And he says if it weren't for these government programs, this whole area would be a ghost town. And then he's going ahead saying Republicans are the ones who know just how it is just to be like them and they would never take this away from us. It's amazing because Republicans are the party that is doing exactly that. Uh, it's what they fight for. It's what they want. It's what they've done. And if they've been successful at anything, it's convincing these people that they are not the ones doing it. Absolutely. It's depressing. I can't mean. I can't mean. I mean. I know some listeners are going to be disappointed that I wasn't up here going like, "Well, I'll believe." But it's so depressing because you can't help but feel for these people. Squarespace is the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional websites and online portfolios. With a keen eye for design and a forward-looking vision for the internet, they help you build websites that you'll be proud of today and will allow you to evolve in the future. They're constantly adding new templates and designs as well as integrating new technologies to work seamlessly with your website. Some of the latest additions include Pinterest and SoundCloud, so if you have any wares to sell or sounds to share, it's never been easier to use these powerful tools right in your Squarespace website. Of course, these are just the tip of the iceberg so you can try the free trial for 14 days without even giving them a credit card so you can check out everything it's possible to do with squarespace and see just how well they're able to meet your specific needs then when you're ready to sign up be sure to use the special offer code left at checkout that's just l-e-f-t which gets you 10 percent off your purchase and that code also lets them know that you're supporting this show at the same time it's the all-in-one platform makes it fast and easy to create Has it already been two weeks since Congress took a vacation? Those poor stiffs must be pooped from trying to catch up on all the heavy lifting that piled up while they were away from their lawmaking duties. And, gosh again, in less than two weeks, Congress will go back on vacation, this time for a five-week summer recess. So much to do, so little time. That's why GOP Speaker John Boehner is now cracking the whip. He's spurring his colleagues to pick up the pace and stay focused on his number one national priority, namely suing the President of the United States. 
It seems that Obama has had the audacity to try to do something about some of the bubbling crises that Congress, or more specifically the House, or even more specifically Boehner and his Republican stalwarts, have been ignoring, stalling, or playing politics with. So, of course, the president must be sued to prevent him from, well, from taking actions to help people. The speaker's logic might seem a tad confusing or just plain weird to you, so I'll let him clarify his meaning for you. The legislative branch, Boehner intoned in a recent op-ed, has an obligation to defend the rights and responsibilities of the American people. Huh? Defend the responsibilities of the American people? What does that mean? And speaking of obligations, doesn't the top official of the House of Representatives have an obligation to at least try communicating with the people in sensible English sentences? This is Jim Hightower saying, but then, if your ideas are gobbledygook, your explanations will be too. He's wasting legislative time and frittering away taxpayer dollars on a frivolous lawsuit while refusing to lift a finger for America's sinking middle class. Just as Nero fiddled while Rome burned, Boehner is in Washington suing while Americans feud. Understand that Republicans and Democrats defer on you know climate change and what should be done about it, and whether or not they even trust the science itself. But apparently, if you dig a little bit below the surface, there are much more interesting numbers there. And it's not about the difference between Republicans and Democrats, but between Republicans and insane right-wing Tea Partiers. And so we've got some information coming from a, a study by the University of New Hampshire. Let's bring up this first chart. You'll see there. The top line of each of those groups is the most important ones. That's the, the, the percent that are saying that they trust uh, environmental science. Scientists talking about climate change in this case. You see, the Democrats are incredibly likely to say they trust those scientists. 83% independents depressingly down there near the Republican number with 63 to the Republican 60. And there's a gap there between Democrats and Republicans. But look at the gap between Republicans and self-professed Tea Partiers. Tea Partiers are less than half as likely to say that they trust scientists when it comes to environmental issues. That is not just sort of shocking, but it's also depressing, and it's pretty sad that we can have... I mean, these are not 10-year-olds who haven't taken the classes yet. These are 50, 60, 70-year-olds who have grown up and just don't trust what trained professionals are saying. I just don't understand people that would not trust an expert in a given field. Not everybody's correct, obviously, mm -hmm. but as the general theme of experts, if you were to uh, throw out your back you would go to a chiropractor probably, yeah. and you wouldn't go to, a say, a podiatrist yeah. who's an expert in a different part of the body. I just don't understand how you could take a whole group and not, this is just... Well, we live in a country that believes in the literal existence of angels and believes in psychics and believes the black hole might have swallowed the Flight 370. Like, they have a lot well, that, of crazy beliefs. And, and usually those are relatively... Probable. That's possible. Uh, uh, thank you, Don Probable, Lennon. probable. Um, th those are usually pretty harmless. But here we're talking about something where... 
even if we marshal all of our economic uh, power and influence worldwide to do something about it as a country, we might not be able to stop it at this point. But we have to at least try. And yokels are stopping us from even doing that. Well, what do you think? You're some kind of expert? Come on. <laughs> Can I make not on climate science particularly? Can I make two points? Uh, the first point is, it's, if you can you put that chart back up because they they split the Republicans. They go, well, look how the regular Republicans aren't quite as crazy because sixty percent of them trust science. But you can't split the Republicans like that. You have to put the Tea Partiers and the Republicans together. And I'm pretty sure if you did that, you would have less than 50% yes. of your average Republican trusting science. Right. So that's a big problem. And I think that stems from a lot from um, misinformation. It also stems from, I've said this before, I don't, this isn't scientific, this is my guess, that you know, they learn bad ways of thinking because they're mm -hmm. overly religious. So they've learned how to just push facts out of the way and they've learned to just whatever I've... There's so somebody explained it that the difference between a progressive and a conservative's views of solutions to problems is thus. Uh, uh, conservatives think their solution works because it's the right solution. Progressives <laughs> think their solution is the right solution because it works. So like those that. are two different things, right? It's a bit long to fit on a bumper sticker, but I like it. Yeah, but you can no. put it on a t-shirt and then good. stuff it up your ass, you fuckface. Anyway. <laughs> I do like it, though. That good night, everybody! <laughs> so it, it's if hard you, to get a rise out of Jimmy, but I do. <laughs> So if you put together, if you look at the Tea Party statistics, if you put together the people who are unsure and don't know if scientists are lying to them about climate change and the ones who just don't trust them, that's almost 80%. That's 8 out of 10 Tea Partiers completely rejecting science. And these people want a seat at the table making policy about climate science. Yeah. Now, thankfully, at least in the most recent round of primaries that we had, uh, in th I think there were three Senate primaries uh, on the Republican side, uh, the Tea Partiers lost, thankfully. Yeah. So they're losing a little bit of their political influence, at least in terms of electing who they want, but they still have political influence in forcing establishment mainstream uh, conservative Republicans to push farther towards the right. And so right. Mitch McConnell so guys, is not they, the same. They just bounce back, though, to the center. Yes. It could Close be. Close to the center after, because once you got them out of the way. It could be, but they could fear the next time around there could be another challenge. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I guess we can see if Mitch McConnell is the same turtle that he was two years ago. Yeah. But I think he might have been influenced. But they also looked at uh, all Republicans, including Tea Partiers and Democrats, and they showed how big of a gap there was in their support for dealing with certain things. The biggest gap was something obvious, whether or not they approve of Obama. 72% gap between Democrats and Republicans. Climate change is this, the, the second biggest. After approving of the Democratic president, there's no issue that there's more disagreement on between Democrats and Republicans. And again, as we showed in that last chart, the Republican score is being weighted down by idiotic Tea Partiers. But there is some, uh, some things they agree on. Like eight, There's only an 18% gap on GMO labels, which I think is interesting. Uh, and evolution, 23% gap, which means there's twice, a big, uh, twice as big a gap on climate change is on evolution, which is seemingly one of the most divisive issues in America today. So I'm, I'm a little confused. So you're saying that the Tea Partiers, uh, twice as many of them uh, discount the science on 
climate change as do on evolution. Well, the, the gap in like saying we should do something about it, or in uh-huh. the case of evolution, believing that it's happening. So okay. basically, like how different the two groups are is oh, okay. twice as big for climate change as for evolution. Oh, okay, that's yeah. what you're saying. Okay. Yeah. Just... And anyway, and, and the final point before we move on is. Remember when the Tea Party was getting all worked up, all geared up, and they were they were being described, and we were we were getting attacked for saying they were extremists, so they were they were crazy in some way, and they said no, we're not crazy. We just care about fiscal issues, and we want fiscal discipline in the country. We don't want these massive bailouts. What the fuck does that have to do with climate change? It's a bunch of crazy people pretending to care about pocketbook issues, but they are just a crazier version of the crazy Republicans we've been dealing with over the past thirty years. I would say willfully ignorant. That's what I would say. You know, the, also willfully. Yeah, I would say that. <laughs> but but you know, I mean, the Republican Party, Fox News, they have built their entire business model is built on misinformation. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, that they're not about getting people educated to the facts so we can make rational decisions. It's about pushing bullshit that their donors want them to push, like the Koch brothers. So yeah. that's, that's the result. Yeah. That's the result of it. Misinformation, brainwash education. Neil deGrasse Tyson's Cosmo series on Fox is really, really, really freaking out the American right. There's a really good article on Salon.com written by Sean McElwee, and I'll read some excerpts and then we'll discuss it. Uh, the religious right has been freaking out about Neil deGrasse Tyson's Cosmos for what feels like an eternity, and Sean says, while the theological complaints seem laughable for their rancor and predictability, it is time we thought harder about what they represent, because the Christian right's Cosmos Agita actually indicates a far deeper problem in religious conservatism, the selective acceptance of Enlightenment values. Religious conservatives have selectively adopted the legacy of liberal Enlightenment from free speech to science and jettisoned it when it does not suit their narrow ideological aims. This is the habit of shifting from a high praise of liberal values on one issue to utter contempt on another. Of course, our various liberal values will come into conflict uh, frequently and must be weighed, but we must be disturbed by how quickly some, particularly on the religious right, are willing to twist these traditions for their own gain. And Sean goes on to talk about a really good example which is that religious fundamentalists seem to have one view about gravity and a very different view about the age of the earth. However, scientifically speaking, both theories are built on the identical scientific methods. So in practice, Lewis, there is really no difference between the theory of gravity and the theory of the age of the earth, right? However, you will hear drastically different points of view from the religious right on these issues, and programs like Cosmos are really bringing this to light. And as we've talked, we've done four or five stories about the incredible reaction to things said by Neil deGrasse Tyson on the Cosmos series, 
And the reality is that it is selective acceptance of the scientific method because practically speaking, there should really be no difference in the acceptance of gravity and the acceptance of the Earth being more than 6,000 years old, but there is. There is, right. Well, I guess there is nothing that you can point to in the Bible that might, uh, that might sound like or look like a reference to gravity in any way, shape, or form. But the great thing about having a show like this on a major network is that, uh, of course, the exposure. I mean, it forces discussion. It forces some people to think about things differently. Uh, just the, the exposure overall is fantastic. Well, Neil deGrasse Tyson has instantly become one of the most simultaneously feared and hated people by religious fundamentalists at this point. And, you know, a national platform on Fox Network, of all networks, to explain in simple terms, depending on the topic, uh, the terms can be uh, more or less simple, what the current scientific understanding is of our existence is both making the right-wing extremists very angry, but also very scared. And we can't forget that that fear aspect of it is a really big driver in the reaction to the program. Right, and if people are afraid of the program, I think that means it's working pretty well. One question I get a lot from listeners has to do with how long it takes me to make an episode of Best of the Left. Well, between all the research, show prep, and actual editing, it comes out to around 20 hours of work for each one of the 10 episodes I make every month. Obviously, this is only possible because of the listeners who chip in a few bucks each month to make it happen, so if you appreciate this show and think it provides a valuable service, then please think about becoming a member at the $10 a month level. That's only a buck a show, after all. I've always believed in giving away the show for free so everyone can hear it without restriction. So if you can afford 10 bucks a month, that covers yourself and several others who maybe can't afford to pay but who need to hear the show as much as anyone. As thanks, members also receive bonus content including extra voicemails, behind-the-scenes stories, and more of my personal musings. Thanks so much for your support. Okay, so now I'm just going to talk about I was watching Fox News uh, Sunday. They were talking about climate change. And, uh, well, let me just say this. I have to read this because it's hard to remember. Thanks to the corporation, thanks to the contraptions of digital and automated mechanisms transmitting to a satellite in orbit around the planet that broadcast to stationary centers that decode binary data into pictures and sound on a screen, thanks to that, I get to see people like George Will tell me not to trust science. <laughs> so it's funny because right-wingers believe that God gave man dominion over the earth, just not earth's climate, apparently. <laughs> uh, so here, let's going to start off, I was turn on Fox News because the White House came out with a big 800-page st st study saying that the effects of global warming are happening now. We're feeling them now, and we're to a tipping point where we can't reverse it because the western shelf of the Antarctic has been breaking off, sure. and there's no turning back from that. Like, that's going to melt, and it's going to rise the sea, sea level, and you can't stop that. So you just have to prepare for it, right? Right. 
And of course, you don't have to prepare for anything over at Fox News, right? Because they're still they're still basking in the glory of the Romney presidential victory. <laughs> okay, so here is uh, Charles Krautheimer. By the way, these are the intellects. These are the big brains on the right. Okay, Charles Krautheimer, real life Frankenstein's monster. Real. <laughs> here we go. Here's Charles Krautheimer. Hey, Charles, could you start us off with some ten-year-old talking points that have been debunked a million times about uh, climate change on a new show? Could you start us off with that? Let's see if he can. I what they you. tell you uh, is that you should be scared about what's happening today. Of course, if it's very uh, cold in the winter, they blame it here. In the Northeast, they blame it on global warming, and but the report it says says that global warming makes summers hotter and winters are generally shorter and warmer. Any scientific theory that explains everything explains nothing, and no matter what happens in climate, which is unpleasant, the word for that is weather, it's attributed to global warming. I mean, if we continue global warming up here in the Northeast, we're going to freeze to death. It's like he's not even just being ignorant. He's doing hack comedy now. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, this global war game is going, we're going to freeze ourselves. So that's the intellectual on the right talking about climate change, throwing out three or four completely already debunked straw men and canards that we've all. It's like he goes, I'm like, you've never heard the refutations to these ridiculous things you're saying. You don't understand the difference between climate and weather. He doesn't, he's still doing that. So what he's doing is trying to purposely confuse their viewers. They have done studies. The more you watch Fox News, the dumber you are, the less you believe in science. And you wonder why? Here it is. Here is their brain trust right here, George Will and Charles Kraheimer. And uh, so he goes on. He's got more to say. But the most important element is what McConnell was talking about. The negligible gain. Assume they are right about global warming. Assume that it is all caused by man. The United States has reduced carbon emissions since 2006 more than any other country on Earth. We are right now at 1992 levels, according to the International Energy Agency. And yet, carbon emissions have gone up globally. Why? We don't control the emissions of the other 96% of humanity especially China and India. As we dismantle the coal plants in our country, China and India together are adding one coal-fired plant every week. The net effect is to ship the U.S. coal energy generating industry from here to India and China. It will have zero effect. If we could have a pact with other countries in which everybody would, re would reduce their emissions, I would sign on. In the absence of it, all that we're doing is committing economic suicide in the name of do-goodism that will not do an iota of good. Yes, yeah, see, he's here to tell us that global warming science is utter BS, but I'd sign on to a pact to, uh, you know, international pact to control carbon emissions. Of course, sure, sure. Even though it's complete bullet BS, I would still sign on to a pact. But I like how he also says, yeah, it, it'll be economic suicide if we switch to an economy of renewable energy as opposed to the actual suicide of CO2 created climate change. Right. Yes. Yeah. You don't, you want to avoid the economic suicide in favor of an actual suicide that's going to kill everybody and the planet and raise the oceans and rock, rock, rock. <laughs> Yeah. Why should we do the right thing if no one else is? 
What what a what a yeah. He's like he's like saying no. Hey, you know what? I'm not going to stop smoking crack if my brother doesn't stop smoking crack. Why should we stop doing something bad if the rest of the world won't do? To changing our economy to renewable energy, it's a win-win. There's no downside. Charles Krauthammer sounds like he's been sucking on the tailpipe of a Chevy for a little while too long. Am I right? Yeah. Well, and by the way, it's it's a. It's a tremendous investment in our future. I mean, it, it, in terms of infrastructure, because this is the way of the future. It has to be the way of the future. It's, I mean, this is really like him s- standing by in like 1930s saying, I don't see why we need a freeway system. That's right. That's right. Why do we need a freeway? Hey, you know what, Frank? Uh, the air is unbreathable. We all have skin cancer, but guess what? Business is great! Exactly. We want to be prosperous <laughs> so that we can afford to buy the cool uh, motorcycles and leather jackets for the post-apocalyptic world we're going to be living yeah. in. <laughs> it's like Krauthammer, he's in his usual state of a confused mind. He would sign an international pact, but in the meantime, we should do nothing. If we spent an entire lifetime of inhaling toxic carbon pollution, we would all think and sound like a wheezing Charles Krauthammer, too. So let's just keep <laughs> that in mind, all right? And, and by the way... Warming, I think global warming has melted his soul. Yes. <laughs> you know, we were asked to sign on to the Kyoto Protocols. We were asked to yes. show leadership in that. And yeah, we leadership. And if we had... I would guarantee a lot of other countries yes. would be much more willing to look at those look at those issues. But until we, who are the only nation who can really afford to start looking at those protocols readily, right? Uh, until we do, no one else is going to. Also, what is his uh, his idea of economic suicide? I guess it's not going to war with two countries that didn't <laughs> attack us in the first place, right. and it's not. Uh, allowing uh, banks to have all these uh, subprime mortgages that put people underwater and and send our economy crashing. None of that. He didn't speak out against any of that, which was actual economic suicide. He's talking about this as hypothetically. He's he's the last person that you should go to for advice on anything, especially this topic. Well, I'm telling you, this is here's the other intellectual on the right, George Will. Okay. Uh, now, now, even though Frank George Will wears glasses and looks like he doesn't get laid, <laughs> he's still not a scientist. Okay, he's just an old guy. He's just an old guy who watches too much baseball. All right, and right. here's living proof of it. Here he goes talking about climate change. Ready, George? Will? After Katrina, I was really interested when they said this is a harbinger of increased hurricane activity, which since then has plummeted. Now, Mr. Holdren, who introduced this report, has his own record of very interesting failed forecasts, not to mention Al Gore, who in 2008 said by 2013, for those of you keeping score at home, that's last year, the ice cap in the North Pole would be gone. It's not. Now. See, Al Gore was wrong about the polar ice cap, so you can dismiss all the science and let's keep going. Thank you very much. You found a way to get to dismiss an entire field of science research because you don't like Al Gore. You know, I don't believe right. I'm I don't subscribe to the theory of global warming and climate change because Al Gore. How about because that's what the settled science is? How about that? How, how do you watch 10,000-year-old glaciers falling apart and it's visible? Isn't, isn't George Will a 10,000-year-old glacier? Yeah. <laughs> That's called weather. Turns out, Frank, it's harder to sound smart while denying science than I thought it was. 
It's really hard to sound smart one didn't I? These guys are literally science deniers. They're going for, it's going to get better. Here we go. George Will has even more to say about this. Say, well, what about this report? There is a sociology of science. Scientists are not saints in white laboratory smocks. They've got interests like everybody else. If you want a tenure track position in ah! academia, don't question the reigning <laughs> orthodoxy on climate change. If you want money from the biggest source of direct research in this country, the federal government, don't question its orthodoxy. Yes, that's right. Science is one big conspiracy theory, according to George Will. Damn it! And you can't get money. Where are you going to get money to do your cli climate research that says climate change is BS? It's not like the oil companies, the most wealthiest corporations in the history of mankind, would fund that for you. No, no, no. All the scientists don't want any of that oil money. They're going where the real money is. I guess grants. Wind, windmills? That sweet, sweet <laughs> grant money. Sweet, sweet grant money. Can I just say for, for the record, if you're a scientist, if you're, if you're a climatologist, if you're a geologist, if you're any of those things, there are jobs in the private sector with the oil companies that pay and chemical Pensibly. companies and pay extraordinary amounts of money. They would give you anything you wanted. And, to that, get. and what, you're, what you're talking about right there is the 2% of scientists who have said that the climate change isn't real. George Will is saying, literally saying, that science can't be trusted because they're all a, it's a big, it's a big conspiracy. This is, this is, they're something. all in cahoots, which this is the most insidious thing he could do yeah. to his viewers because also. now he's telling them, don't trust science. So here we go. He's got more to say. I'm not impressed by numbers. I'm not impressed by consensus. <laughs> what, what does impress you? C conspiracy theories, conjecture, the opposite of science? Is that what impresses you? Money because, and Jesus. Oh, that's right. Right? Money and superstition. That's what impresses Charles Krautheimer. There we go. I, when, when I was a psychiatrist, I participated in consensus conferences on how to define depression and mania. These are things that people negotiate in the way you would negotiate a bill because the science is unstable. Because in the case of climate, the models are changeable. And okay, that's not... How climate science happens. People don't get in a room and debate it like they do the DSM, whatever that, that that's the DSM five. This is not how climate science happens. Okay. I'm not going to take time to break it down for you. Okay. So I, I don't want to get too into the weeds on this, but that's not how they do it. Again, he's just lying. Charles Krauthammer is pretending like science is politics and it's not, even though he wants it to be. Okay, here we go. Because climate is so complicated, the idea that we who have trouble forecasting what's going to happen on Saturday in the climate could... No, that's weather. That's not the climate. Okay, so you know... And by the way, he knows the difference. He's still lying. Still, could he be a more horrible human being? Could there be some anything more important than climate science right now? So, you know, thanks to science, um, most forecasts are about what the weather is going to be like on Saturday are usually pretty pretty accurate. They're amazingly yeah. accurate. Pretty and, accurate. And, and by the way, in Accur 1976, they predicted exactly what's going on. I remember watching television and them saying the sea levels are going to rise. This is what's going to happen if if things continue. It's been accurate. I will it just it's just again, they're just pretending that there's a debate. They're pretending that the where are we going? 
pretend to, to, to be predicting what's going to happen in 30, 40 years is absurd. And you always see that no matter what happens, whether it's a flood or it's a drought, uh, whether it's one that's warming or cooling, it's always a result of what is ultimately what we're talking about here, human sin with pollution of carbon. It's the oldest superstition around. It was in the Old Testament. It's in the rain dance of Native Americans. If you sin, the skies will not cooperate. This is quite superstitious, and I'm waiting for science which doesn't declare itself definitive, but is otherwise convincing. Okay, that's a straw man argument. About, that's not what anybody's saying. That's not what anyone's saying. Of course, it's a straw so let me just sum up here, Robert. Uh, according to Fox News and George, well, this is the intellectuals on the right. Do you hear? They can't even make a decent argument. They can't. They would get kicked out of debate school. Both these guys. This is their intellects on the right. To sum up, climate change isn't happening. If climate change is happening, it isn't man-made. If climate change is man-made, America shouldn't do anything about it because other countries won't do anything about it. We should continue to use finite resources like oil, coal, and gas because we'll always have the Middle East and pollution is awesome. Five, Al Gore. Six, corporate... <laughs> Corporate profits are more important than breathable air and drinkable water. Seven, science is just a conspiracy. Eight, 50 million Elvis fans can't be wrong. <laughs> and nine, it's been really cold in the Northeast lately. So this is what the conservative intellectuals think. So now you know why conservative dummies think the same thing. Hey folks, uh, this is Jamie from just outside of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. I uh, just came across your podcast and I'm loving it so far. I just listened to the episode about education and it really compelled me to call in. Uh, my husband and I both have professional degrees, bachelor degrees and master's degrees, and we're about $230,000 in student loan debt. And so I'm understanding a lot firsthand of the issues that a lot of other people in this nation are going through with being in that much debt. But one reason that I wanted to call in was a lot of the discussions that I hear online, um, on the radio, and a lot of different forums in person are about federal student, loan, uh, student loans and student loan debt. About a third to a half of our debt is private student loan debt. And I feel like when we talk about uh, the government making money on our, our student loan debts and feeling like it's a lot of corporate interest and big business, the banks really own us to a large degree. And with some of my loans, I'm paying 10 and 12 percent uh, interest, respectively. It's tantamount to usury, I think, in my opinion. Um, the reason that I feel like private loans are so <laughs> difficult, if not somewhat um, evil, is because so many of the programs, the repayment options that one has with federal loans that work with uh, your income, that give you a lot of different options, they just don't exist with a lot of private loans. The banks that we deal with, I mean, these are major banks that a lot of people have student loans through have very few options for repayment. Uh, and we, when we were coming up against huge payments, because we pay 
over a thousand dollars a month together on on just those private loans. Um, we asked about options. We asked about um, working with our income or doing graduated repayment, and we were basically told if we didn't pay in full, then we were going to be delinquent and eventually in default, and that would essentially put a, a giant black mark on our credit score and make it very difficult for us to get credit extended to us in the future. So with the extremely tight budget, um, reasonable income, very little that we spend with discretionary income, and some help from our uh, my in-laws, we're able to make ends meet and make it work. But it's really hard. It's really, really hard. And I know that we're not the only ones out there that are in this kind of situation. So thank you for putting more light on the subject. I'm just hopeful that with Elizabeth Warren's help and um, other folks in Congress, and people just standing up and saying, we need something to change. We're willing to pay our fair share. I'm more than willing to contribute to my own educational costs. But they were so high. The cost is so high. And I want to keep doing what I do, what I love, what my husband loves. But it took these degrees to do it. It took all this money to do it. We just want to work with the system that exists to help, to help pay down this debt that we owe, to help work with us so that we can have a future. Um, continue to consume, raise a family, have a house. I just hope we can we can make a change because it can't go on the way it is. Thanks for all the good work you do. All right, thanks a lot. Bye. Hey Jay, this is John from Davis, California. A little bit of an extra perspective to your recent education. Notice missing from the episode was a discussion of the quality of education, at least for higher education. Um, and when I was recently teaching uh, science courses at a California State University, uh, I informed my students of, of what my pay was, basically, because they had asked. Uh, and after that, students actually brought me food to my class in awareness of uh, basically how lowly I was being paid. Um, and while that didn't deter from my focus in, in teaching their course, I certainly know that, you know, when you're not paying people very much, uh, despite tuition going way, way up, uh, they're certainly not delivering the quality. And I know that was the case for a lot of my peers who had to take on second jobs or, or things like that in addition to their teaching loads. So, you know, that was me in a science program. I can only imagine how much worse it is, and I know it's much worse for uh, other instructors in other places. So. Despite that tuition's going up, that's not necessarily, you know, that's in no way increasing the quality of education for the students. Um, you know, a lot of that money's going to administrative costs or construction or, or things like that, and uh, I'm sure listeners and yourself are aware of uh, plenty of sources for exact numbers and figures um, on, on those topics, and I encourage people to look that up because, uh, you know, not only are we sinking more money into education, but we're getting less out of it. So, uh, as everyone says, keep up the good work. Thanks. Bye. Hey, Jay. It's Wade again. i got to admit, your response got me beat. I don't have a comeback to it. To respond to Wade and the idea that uh, learning history is not valuable to helping make decisions going forward, unsurprisingly, I disagree with that idea. Reading history books and you know, helping influence policy going forward by writing letters to your legislators are not mutually exclusive things, and it should be clear that doing one helps inform the other. You know, if we have a totally uninformed 
populace with no understanding of history, then how intelligent are those letters to your uh, congressman going to be? So uh, you won the argument on that. I can man up and admit that. You're playing the long term. You know, collectively, everybody's better educated. In the future, we will have fewer of these completely ignorant people on history. And that's good. That's a good thing. And you're right about that. That is correct. So, Jay, you won the debate. Everybody read history, but more importantly, have your kids read history. And uh, that's all I have, man. Thanks. Hey, it's Jay. This is uh, Marcus Carbine from Austin, Texas. Let's have a quick point about the whole theory about how the government is inept. And I think that's really, really poor argument. If you think about what the government does, where they can send a drone to another country and bomb a particular house or set up an entire network in Utah to spy on every single phone in the entire country, that's not ineptitude. But when it comes to paying, paying back veterans or when it comes to paying, you know, Medicare, Medicaid, that kind of stuff, things seem to break down. I don't think it's a question of being inept at things. I just think it's a question of priorities. Uh, the government doesn't put priorities on those things. Or, I mean, they're definitely not inept when they really try. I mean, they're definitely inept at health insurance and all that stuff. But I think if they put enough resources with the right people on it, they could do it. So the whole argument, the whole conservative argument of an inept government breaks down pretty easily when you think of things they can do when they prioritize it. Thanks. Bye. Hi, Jay. This is Beck again from San Francisco. I figure I'll tell you what that liberal West Coast city is. I've been a little bit behind on your show, and I'm sorry, but I just listened to your newest trans rights episode, and I just wanted to give you a lot of praise. I mean, I thought it was absolutely fantastic. Your other trans rights shows mostly featured on stories in the news, things that negatively impact and affect trans people, stats, and statistics, and I think that those things are wonderful for reaching out and finding new allies. People hear those things and then they go, oh my God, that's so horrible, I never even knew, and, and they feel compelled to do something. But this new episode featured a lot on personal stories. And personal stories are something that really helped me along my way with discovering my gender identity and who I was. And um, for things that I resonated with in a, in a couple of the stories that I heard on, on the newest episode. And, and mine, I came out as gay at 15. I had always in my life felt like there was something different about me. I always felt like I couldn't live up to what being a man was, to my father's standards, the way my brothers were. And sometimes it wasn't even standards people putting on me, it was standards I put on myself based on the way I was watching other men react in the world and interact with the world. And I just never felt like I lived up to that standard. And when I was gay, it seemed like when I realized I was gay, it seemed like this things made sense. And then like, I graduated high school and I went out into the real world and met real gays and not just like the high school gays that are all trying to be Will from Will and Grace, well, Jack from Will and Grace, let's be honest. And I started meeting such a diverse amount of gay men out there. And when I started meeting like mass, I hate this word, but masculine gay men, I realized like that flamboyant characteristic isn't 
guaranteed among everyone else. And slowly I started to feel again like, like, like I, I was close, but I was off. And it wasn't until, I mean, I'm 28 now, it wasn't until the last couple of years that I started to understand the concept of genderqueer based on stories. Um, that I've either, either, either people telling their personal accounts one-on-one in conversation or things that I've read online. And those things really, really help give me an understanding of who I am. And so I really, really, really can't say enough how much I loved the focus that you took this specific trans rights ep- episode in. Like, I, I, it was amazing. So. I'm babbling now, so I'm going to stop. So thank you very much. Keep up the great work, and I will listen to the two other episodes today at work. Thanks. Bye. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks to the volunteers who helped gather clips to make the show possible. Thanks to Katie Klebusik for all of her work on our social media outlets and activism segments. And thanks to all those who called into the voicemail line. If you'd like to leave a comment or question of your own to be played on the show, the number to dial is 202-999-3991. Now, totally unexpectedly, uh, you may recall there was a big fundraiser going on last month that ended weeks ago. And somehow a couple of people were able to sneak in after hours and make donations to that campaign. And since I'm thanking everyone who donated to that fundraiser, I don't know how they did it. I Maybe they hacked in. Maybe the link to the fundraising page is still floating around somewhere. Anyways, they managed to make a contribution, so I'm going to thank them. Susan from Toronto, Canada, and Michael from White Bear Lake, Minnesota. I don't know how you did it, but thank you for uh, making the effort. So now, you know, as, as I've been mentioning, the schedule of the show has been a little messed up because I've been on vacation and all of the sort of normal things, the normal phenomenon that happen to people when they come back from vacation are hitting me full force right now. You know, uh, all your work piles up that you haven't been doing while you've been away. And to compound that, you know, anyone who's familiar with business meetings knows that meetings create work, uh, maybe good work, hopefully good work. But they create work, and so I had the, uh, you know, well, it's it's not a misfortune because I, I planned it myself, but I had my vacation flow smoothly right into Netroots Nation, so that's where I was uh, most recently. So not only do I have all my vacation pileup work to do, but Netroots always generates lots of interesting good work based on all the conversation and brainstorming and idea having that goes on there. I mean, that's why I go to Netroots Nation, because you have conversations, you think about the projects you're working on, uh, all the, all and, you know, everyone's creative juices get flowing, and then you think of all this stuff you should do. So, so that's where I'm at about now. Um, you know, Our Blue Media, I talked about recently, that was conceived of at Netroots Nation. That was a big one. And, you know, not all the ideas that are had are that big, but the, the highlights from this year's Netroots is that, um, it, you know, I mentioned Hourly Media recently, it sort of explained why it hadn't been launched yet, and after this year's Netroots, there's a, there's a glimmer of hope for that project. Uh, that's all I can say about it at the moment, but there's a glimmer of hope. We'll see, see what happens. Uh, also, there are new ideas that have been had about the big mobile app project that I've been working on recently uh, that I can I can attribute directly to having gone to Netroots and having conversations there. And so I will have details about 
the trip and all these new ideas in an upcoming uh, members only segment because frankly there's just too much to tell there it's a big story and all sorts of details and you know things that aren't necessarily ready for public announcement they're not like you know version one features for the app that, that, that need to be announced but sort of the the ideas down the road are looking more and more exciting as they uh, as they spin around in my head. So I'll be doing a member segment on that coming up soon. If you want to become a member and check all of that out, of course, all the details are at the membership section at the website. Not to mention that gives you access to all of the previous members-only segments I've done. So that's going to be it for today. Thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks to those who support the show by becoming a member or making one-time donations. That is absolutely how the program survives. Of course, everyone can support the show just by telling everyone you know about it, leaving glowing reviews in iTunes and Stitcher, and by donating your accounts at donateyouraccount.com slash bestoftheleft. Stay tuned into the show by joining up with us on Facebook and Twitter, and for details on the show itself, including links to all of the sources and music used in this and every episode all that information can always be found in the show notes on the blog so coming to you from inside the beltway yet outside the conventional wisdom of washington dc my name is jay and this has been the best of the left podcast coming to you every third day thanks entirely to the members and donors to the show from bestoftheleft.com and it's a cry and shame how we get so trained Stories and wonder what we're missing. We can't see past our sad stories and forget how to listen. We can't see past our sad stories and wonder what we're doing. Can't see past our sad stories and forget who it is we're from.